From the Amazon to the Himalayas, God is accomplishing his mission. Welcome to Amazon to the Himalayas podcast. Stories and conversations with the global church and for the global church about the mission of God in the world. And now here is your host, Paul Aiken. This is Amazon to the Himalayas podcast, conversations with the global church and for the global church about the mission of God in the world. I am your host, Paul Aiken, and I'm excited in this podcast to highlight the amazing stories and work that God is doing all around the world. We live in a world that is filled with bad news and negative headlines. But as I've traveled around the world over the last decade, I've come into contact with amazing people who are pursuing Christ and seeing the gospel advance all over the world. From the Amazon to the Himalayas, God is accomplishing His mission and purpose in the world. This podcast exists for you to hear those stories. I want you to be introduced to your brothers and sisters around the world. I want you to listen to their voices. I want you to hear their struggles and their joys. I want us all to be encouraged together about the great things the Lord is doing all across this planet. In this episode, we will hear about some of the things that God is doing in South America. Our guest today is Daniel. Daniel and his family live and serve in South America and minister in one of the most physically challenging places anywhere on the planet. I actually had the privilege of visiting Daniel, his family, and his work several years ago, and I'm grateful for his friendship and ministry. Daniel, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Paul. Thanks for having me, man. It's good to be here. Daniel, I'd love for you to begin by just telling us a little bit about yourself and your family. Right on. Well, as Paul said, my name is Daniel, and we live and serve in South Africa, or South America, sorry, and work with the indigenous people. We had lived in Texas and served in ministry there for uh, most of my young adult life, and then the Lord began to pull on our heartstrings to do international uh, mission work. And, and I love what you said uh, in the intro there that God is accomplishing his purpose around the globe. And uh, as we were there in Houston, um, our, our heart, we were content where we were um, as far as serving in the church. Things were good uh, in the church. The ministry was growing in the youth ministry, but, but the things were not in our hearts. Uh, we weren't content with that. And uh, we knew something different was in store for us. And so uh, so we begin to pray. This was about seven years ago that the Lord began to move in that direction. Uh, we didn't know what direction it was. From the Amazon to Himalayas, we had no idea where we would end up landing with our family. And so to that end, we begin praying for that, that end and ask the Lord to, to lead our following steps. And so um, uh, we found ourselves with a mission board and, and going through the, the process of filling applications and finding a pl- place for us to serve. And there we, here we are seven years later serving in South America. Definitely the, the place where you live and serve is, I think, one of the most unique places on the planet. So can you tell our listeners maybe a little bit about the people, the culture, and what makes this part of the world unique? Yeah, that's a good question. And where we live is, is, I think, one of the most interesting places in the world because kind of a fun fact for me, I'm from Texas, and Texans are always so arrogant about the size of their state. Um, you know, they have waffle irons, the shape of Texas. So they're just so proud of their states, right? So, but the state of Texas is a big place. You know, you can, you can travel all day and not reach the, the other side of the state. But the state that we live in, in the Amazonas, is three times the size of Texas. And so almost three times the size of Texas. So it's a massive area. And what's even more interesting is that the population of the Amazon state is about 4 million people. 
Now that's the, that's almost the population of Houston, Texas. The city of Houston in Texas is the same population as our entire state. And so we have this, this population of 4 million spread across three states of Texas. It's incredible to think about. To narrow that down even more, you have about 2 million people in the, in the capital city. So we have roughly 2 million people spread across this massive region of the rainforest and little micro people groups on, along these river communities. And so these micro groups on these communities are about uh, 60 to uh, average 60 to 200 people, uh, give or take the, uh, of the community. Some communities may have up to 2000 people. So with that comes the challenges, um, the travel to the city to get supplies. It can take on average for some of these people seven days to get to the city just to buy supplies. That's not on a really nice, comfortable boat. That's on a dugout canoe with a little five horsepower Briggs and Stratton motor. Living on the land with no electricity, no running water. It's a difficult life for them. That makes the challenges of just living here extremely difficult for these people, given the climate, how far we are from civilization as far as a large city, hospitals and stuff like that. I think another interesting uh, aspect of this is uh, one of my uh, friends is a is a um, anthropologist from a, a prestigious university in America, and they have been studying these people for quite some time now. And what they're saying is that what has been taken 50 years for a people group to begin to change a culture is taking uh, uh, three to, to five years here. We're seeing this people group change at a rapid pace. But on the other side of that, the caveat is that these indigenous people, they have not advanced as quickly as other indigenous folks around the world. So it's pretty common today to see a, uh, an indigenous uh, ride in a dugout canoe that he dug, cut down the tree and dug out himself with a small motor. And they use, uh, still use a machete in the fields for everything. So for the most part, these people have been advanced uh, as far as infrastructure, as tools, as weapons as compared to other indigenous folks around the world. So they still live uh, primitive lifestyles. And for that presents just many challenges for those people. That's fascinating. You've been down there serving for several years now. So when you think back over the last couple of years, tell us one of your biggest highlights. You know, people all around the world are, are praying for you. They're praying for your work. So, so tell us a little bit about what God is doing. That's a good question. Um, in the name of our business that we do, we're on a creative access form here. And so it's illegal to be a missionary in this part of the world. And so we, we have a creative access where we, we run a business, a for-profit business. Uh, we're a legit a legal business here. And so with that, we run a business. Uh, several years ago, we had a meeting upriver uh, in the name of our business to, do, to continue working uh, with these people. There was about seven communities represented that day. Uh, and the leader of the association is also the chief of one of the villages there. We did not uh, hit it off very well in the meeting, and so um, it ended up with me being kicked out of the meeting uh, and kicked out of his community. It did not go well at all, and so for uh, for but the next twelve months after that, when I saw him around town or up river, it was not a very a friendly conversation. And so fast forward about 12 months after that, um, I'm on the river with uh, my indigenous partner, who's also my pastor here. We're the same age. We're up river and we stop at this small island about the size of two football fields, if you will. We stopped there and there's an old woman and a man that lives there. And we stopped and, and, and they invited us to come back the following week to meet our family. They were so excited to see us and we had good conversation. We drank shebae, which is a, a water mixed with farinha here. And we, we sat there and just conversed with them. And she, she was so excited for the visit. And so she invited us to come back the following week. So we hopped in the boat the following week and went back up river to visit this, these people to meet her family. As we started approaching the island on the bank, I could see her, these two older people and her four sons. Uh, 
And I noticed that one of the sons was the guy from that meeting about a year prior. And the first thing he said before the boat even got to the bank, he said, hey, do you remember that meeting from a year ago? And he had this kind of smirk on his face. And uh, I said, sure, what do you say to that? You know, I said, <laughs> um, how can I forget that? Um, it was not a good meeting. And I knew that this, this following day was going to go just was going to go terrible because of what had happened. Um, you know, here's this woman who was ecstatic about meeting her family. And then me and her son are at odds with each other. And so that day was okay. We conversed a little bit. But over the course of 12 months, over the course of 18 months or so, um, I began to make more and more frequent trips to this island just to sit down with this, this man and, and, and just to do life with them. And over the course of these 18 months or so, we began diving in Bible study and discipleship and just leading this man through a Bible story and uh, teaching him about God's Word. And we saw something tr- absolutely remarkable take place in this man's life. He had the look in his eyes of anger. Those eyes begin to change. We saw a, a physical transformation in his life as he began to study God's word. And so this just began to just progress every single week. Uh, we saw the transformation in his life. And then we had the incredible privilege of this past month, I got to baptize him. And so it was an incredible moment. We went from uh, being absolute enemies into where this past month we were able to baptize him. We And he and I have become really good friends over the last few months. And so it's incredible to see how the Lord took his life and his heart and literally physically, we were able to physically see the Lord transform his life uh, over the last couple of months. It's been incredible to watch. Paul, you mentioned the pandemic and how it's just been so hard for folks. We had to stop doing a uh, story with them back in March because of the government here. They shut down all the rivers. And I was concerned about this man uh, because of where he was with his walk with the Lord at the time. I was concerned he's going to revert back to his old way of life and animism, uh, Catholicism and alcohol. And so from March up until about July, we had no contact with him. Um, when I finally got uh, approval to go back up river, um, I went up to visit him. And to my surprise, his first words out of his mouth is, I'm ready to be baptized. I've given my life to the Lord. That was an incredible, without my presence and without any presence of a pastor or a missionary, that this man was in his house alone with his family. He grew deeper with the Lord because of story with God's word. It was just incredible uh, a thing to watch um, take place. Amen. Praise the Lord. It's encouraging to hear what God's doing. Now, I know where you are, every day is a little bit different. You know, no two days are the same. So when you think about the last few months, there's a lot, there's been a lot of stuff that's been going on. What's the the biggest surprise that you've had in the last few months? Maybe it could be something related to your work or something related to your family. Yeah. What comes to mind in terms of biggest surprises? I think we'll go back to that last story I told you. The pandemic, I think, brought fears to everybody, right? What's going to happen after this? Um, nobody knew what to expect or what to do. For us, we don't have the comfort of having internet access to these people. So I wasn't able to do Zoom calls or WhatsApp messaging. Um, it was We had no communication with our folks. And so as a missionary, we had a great fear with that. Like, what's this going to look like after this pandemic's over? You know, is it going to be three weeks? Is it going to be three months or three years? We had no idea what to expect moving forward. And so that was, a, that was a big concern of mine. We spent a lot of time in prayer, my family and I. What would this look like after? And so we, we spent a lot of time making strategy. How are we going to advance the kingdom to these people, right? And so we, we found ourselves rerunning our entire strategy because we knew that after this pandemic, things are going to be very different. People are going to need hope. They're going to be fearful. They're hungry. They haven't been able to come to the city to get money or get food. And so there was a lot of things playing into this. And so going back to that last story, when we finally got clearance to go back up river, I was incredibly encouraged and surprised, uh, going back to your question, to see that these people we had been doing Bible storying with, uh, they didn't only 
maintain their faith. They grew in their faith. And so that was a huge surprise to me to see that that, that had taken place without, again, the, without the presence of missionaries and without the presence of pastors, that these men took with their families, they took the story sets that we gave them, uh, Bible stories, and they kept studying those stories to grow in their faith. And that was, that was awesome to watch. Obviously, where you, you live and where you serve, there's lots of challenges. The context is difficult. Sure. You know, there are not a lot of Christians and churches and those kinds of things. It's very overwhelming in many ways. What would you say is your, your single greatest challenge in your work? In our work here, it'd be two things, alcohol and syncretism. Those are two of the biggest things here. And the reason for alcohol is you got to understand the indigenous mindset to understand how that's the problem here. Indigenous, they're very concrete thinkers, right? So you and I, we're taught to be abstract thinkers. You know, we're, we're raised that way in school. We're taught that way by teachers, how to, how to think in kind of a 3D manner, right? And so the indigenous, um, it's very common in the school here, uh, even in Brazil, all is, is for the teacher to write on the board and you just copy what they're writing. It's very concrete thinking. And so for the indigenous, even more so. So them, they're in an always survival mindset. And so if what I have today is, is a concrete thinking, what I have today is all I have. And so they'll, if they have a whole chicken and a whole ri- uh, pot of beans and a pot of rice, they're going to eat every bit of that right now because tomorrow they may not have anything. If they have a thousand dollars today, they're going to spend it all because tomorrow they may not have anything. And so they live in a very much day-to-day basis. So with that, with alcohol, when they get their money, they drink and they drink in the same manner. And so alcoholism is just taking, it has become a major issue amongst the indigenous because of the amount of alcohol they're drinking. It is very common to see deaths here on the canoes. They fall out of their canoe or, or fall in the river. And so it is taking hold of these people, alcohol, and it is destroying, absolutely destroying families across all these communities because of how much they drink um, and how often they do it. And so alcohol is a big, big issue here. And the other end of that is uh, syncretism. Paul, you in the States, you, you understand syncretism and what that looks like for you guys in your context. And it may look like jobs, money, sports, success, fame, whatever that may be, another religion that people follow, right? And so for us, it's, you know, in the, in the form of Catholicism or animism, fall in the spirit world. And so those two things all together, it presents a lot of, of challenges in our work because it's it's common if I tell a story of like creation for them to put that story of creation on the mantle uh, for them. It's just another story about how a God created the world and they'll, they'll have their version of creation as well to how that their God created the world. And so uh, secretism, animism is a really big deal here as well um, and, and a challenge in our work here. Give us a, a brief description of what life is like for you and for your family. I know a lot of our listeners are wondering, wow, what does life look like for a family from Texas that's living in South America in the jungle? I'm sure that, you know, little Johnny's probably not playing a whole lot of Little League baseball. And so what does life look like <laughs> for you and for your family? Man, that, I get that question a lot. My father-in-law, who is a, who's a, is a pastor in, in Texas, he, we, he's been a pastor most of his adult life. And, and we've always joked about that our middle name is Interruption. And I think that's as, as uh, those of us in ministry, we understand that our life is full of interruptions. So I say that because every single day looks completely different. Um, I may write my day out, what I want it to look like on my schedule, but there's always somebody at the door. There's always something to do. And there's always a boat to pull out of the water. There's always somebody to visit. And this is always something different happening that I just, I haven't planned for. And so 
my day looks different every single day. And as you said, little Johnny, my son is, he's, uh, his name's not Johnny, but he is not playing, uh, he's not playing little league baseball anywhere in here, but he spends a lot of time on the river, uh, in canoes, uh, swimming, fishing. And so that's, that's what our life looks like. We do a lot of homeschool. That's the only way of doing uh, education here at homeschool. And so we recognize that our kids who are 12, six and four, they have, they have different life. They don't have uh, some of the comforts of, of America that has to offer, but man, the life they're getting to live, we wouldn't trade it for the world. Um, we spend a lot of time outdoors. We spend a lot of time on the river. We spend a lot of time doing things with the indigenous folks. And so I, I think that the life they're getting to live is, man, it's just fun. It's a good, exciting life. And I think when they're adults, I hope so. <laughs> maybe they're gonna, maybe they're gonna hate us for for raising them here. But uh, I think they're gonna have some good stories to tell uh, about the, the things they got to experience as kids and where they lived, living in the jungle with anacondas that we see. And so that's a that's a different way uh, of doing life um, for us. Daniel, I'm gonna ask you a question that I ask everybody that I interview day after day, week after week, and month after month. What keeps you there in that place? And why are you giving your life to this work? Man, as I read through this question, I, I was hung up on it. In our line of work, what we do here, we use a lot of compasses for navigation. And so um, we'll bring teams, uh, folks out in the jungle, and we'll do this, this compass navigation exercise. And so during this exercise, it's, uh, you, you hold your compass, right? And you, you get a bearing of what direction you want to go. In this type of, of navigation, you'll find an object that's maybe 50 yards ahead. It could be a big rock or a tree or some type of a fixed landmark that you fix your eyes on. And so where you're standing uh, next to a tree, you use a machete and make a slash in that tree so you know where you've been, where you're going from, and you have your eyes fixed on that other object you want to get to that's in your, your line of sight and the, on the compass, right? And so you now have where you are and where you want to be. Now, from walking from point A to point B in that, in that exercise, you can do whatever you want, well, whatever you want. You can take a nap. You can do, you know, uh, jumping jacks, do some cartwheels. It doesn't matter. Um, you can run in circles as long as you know where that fixed object is you want to get to, right? And so for me, as I'm thinking about this is my calling is like that fixed location where I'm coming from is that I always revert back to my calling as the Lord has called us to this location. And the fixed location of where I want to be is the lostness of these people. That's where I need to be there. I need to get to where they are and where the lostness is. Now, the between here and the middle, it's really important that I keep my eyes fixed on those objects because in the middle of those two points, a lot of chaos happens. A lot of things happen, a lot of hardships, a lot of difficulties, and a lot of days are really difficult. And if I don't keep my eyes on my calling and the lostness, I'm just going to give up because I can give up and go back to America. Uh, back to Texas, where I can go to Lowe's that has an air conditioning building, which is really nice, that has a plethora, <laughs> a plethora, uh, endless supply of material and tools, and I can have a coffee in my hand while shopping. Um, I can go back there and suffer. And so, but, but if I suffer here and I keep my eyes on my calling and my eyes on the lostness, that's what keeps me in this location is, is uh, to keep serving here amongst these people. Thanks for sharing that. What is your constant prayer? For the people that you work with, for the place where you're serving, what's, what's your constant prayer for the people and for that place? My constant prayer would be uh, for the Lord to continue raising up gospel carriers. We need more of those. And um, this comes in the name of, of local indigenous gospel carriers, not, not more missionaries from outside the indigenous world coming in. There's 32 or so, give or take, people groups in this area. And so 
it would be like for, for you and I, we're both Americans to go to do ministry amongst say like Russians or China or, or Japan or somewhere else. It's a completely different culture for us. And so for these indigenous people groups, it's kind of the same. They have different language, different culture, different people. They look a little different as well. And so to have an indigenous go cross-cultural, even though it may be just a little ways upriver, that's asking a lot of them. It's a new language, a new culture, a new people. And it may be a culture of people that doesn't necessarily like them. And so we see a lot of fear with these Christian brothers and sisters, indigenous brothers and sisters to be gospel carriers because they don't know how to transcend those cultural barriers. And so that's my constant prayer is the Lord will continue raising up gospel carriers amongst the indigenous folks. As we conclude our conversation, what is one thing you want everyone listening to know? Lostness. It would be the lostness. There is a lot of focus like the 1040 window. Uh, there's just a, a big group of losses there. Um, and I think sometimes we think of South America is, is already a, a reached people group. Um, and you think even about America, it's already a reached people group as well. Uh, but there's still losses. There's a lot of losses. The, the fact there's still 2 billion plus people that don't, haven't heard the gospel is unacceptable. And that should motivate us as believers to, to be gospel carriers no matter where we are. And so uh, there's losses all around us, whether you're sitting um, – in America, South America, or anywhere else in the world, there's losses around us. And so when we get that, I think as believers, that it's unacceptable to know that there's still 2 billion people have no access to the gospel. We need to do something about that. So losses be uh, one thing I want everybody uh, to know. Daniel, thank you for taking time to share with us. We praise God for the work he's doing in and through your family. And uh, we just appreciate you taking the time to talk with us today. Right on, man. Well, I appreciate you having me. I hope you enjoyed hearing from Daniel today. Please pray for him, his family, and his work as the Lord brings them to your mind. To hear more conversations like this, please subscribe to this podcast and be sure to follow us on social media. Thanks again for listening to this episode. More encouraging conversations are on the way. This is Amazon to the Himalayas podcast. Thank you for joining us on Amazon to the Himalayas. This podcast is brought to you by the Billy Graham School at Southern Seminary please visit our website, www.sbts.edu bgs, where you can subscribe to the show and learn more. Also, if you have found these conversations helpful, please leave us a comment or a review and encourage your friends to subscribe to the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for more. This is Amazon to the Himalayas podcast.